up son Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary. You still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper I've been Chase the greatness. I'm stacking now and balling later. In the conversation, we strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments, and sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No, Deanna speak. That shit that everybody vouching Ain't no more excuses valid Get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account and then account it This episode is sponsored by Bees She is the creator of the Gifatize app And the author of the Financial Starter Kickbook Bees works in the defense industry As an overseas contractor After years of studying financial literacy and investing, she is now financially free. The Financial Starter Kit comes with a free money allocation spreadsheet and gives you all the resources that you need to take control of your finances today. You can purchase the book at financialstarterkit.com. If you want to learn more about the defense industry and how to obtain a stable, high-paying career in the States or overseas, you can purchase her Defense Industry Guide at www.defenseindustry.guide. Also, for more information, you can follow her on Twitter at capital underscore SB. Today's episode is also brought to you by Brandon Thomas Insurance Services. Brandon Thomas Insurance Services is an independent insurance broker that is accredited by the BBB with a focus on life and health insurance products. They provide insurance coverage for all family members' needs, whether it be children that need affordable life insurance, adults that want term and permanent life insurance options, or seniors that need Medicare or final expense policies. They offer free consulting and quoting to those states in which their services are provided, which include Texas, Louisiana, Colorado, North Carolina, Nevada, Georgia, California, and Ohio. Make sure y'all go check them out at bthomasinsurance.com or give them a call at 512-549-6123. Everybody, welcome to the episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier. Got my co-host, D, with me. What's up, everybody? So today, we got another another dope episode with another dope guest. He goes by the name of DG. He's a full-time options trader and mentor, a published author, an entrepreneur. And he's run uh, multiple successful finance businesses and tech in a tech startup, as well as, as well as his new consulting business, where he's currently teaching over 100 students to trade options. So welcome to the show, bro. We we glad to have you on. Thank y'all for having me on. Uh, I definitely have been a listener to you guys for a long time. Uh, so I feel very honored that you guys would even think of me to be on here. Yes, man. That's love, man. We feel honored that you come on, man. We we love what you're doing. Right. The, the feeling is mutual. And just uh, getting right into it, man. So for the people who are not familiar with you, besides, you know, the background that I just gave you, but you might just give a more background on yourself uh yeah so um 
background on me. This is interesting. Um, so I'm actually from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, born and raised, moved out to Austin, Texas um, about six years ago. Um, when I was in Baton Rouge, uh, I taught myself options trading uh, when I was about 19 years old. Uh, so that was way back in 2009. Uh, back then, it was me and a friend. We were uh, options wasn't as accessible as it is today. Um, and so, you know, you're talking about back then, you know, now you have options, you can place trades for free. Uh, back then, there was no free options trading. It was $7 to buy, $7 to sell, plus 60 cents a contract. So trading, op so trading options back then was almost like trading OTC now. And so, uh, the OTC is over-the-counter stocks, penny stocks, et cetera. So you got to have a little bit of extra, you, you had to have a little bit of extra brand. We were both college kids, but um, essentially it meant that if we had a play that was, let's say, $100, right? If we wanted to break even and we were paying $750 on the front end, $750 on the back end, then we had to make 15% ROI just to break even on the trade. Um, and for a lot of y'all that, don't know anything about investing. 15% ROI is a pretty high rate of return, right. um, especially if you got to make that just to break even. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we had to we had to learn some ways to kind of increase our, our our returns. You know, and eventually, you know, it it wasn't profitable enough at the time for us uh, to continue to do it. So, uh, you know, I continued. I stayed in school. You know, stay in school. Don't be a fool. Uh, I stayed in school. Um, went into personal finance, uh, ran a business there, um, and then moved that business when I moved out to Texas. Um, and then about uh, three years later, that same friend, uh, he called me up and was like, yo, I got this idea for this tech startup, you know, we'll make a lot of money, whatever, whatever. So <laughs> uh, ran a tech startup for a few years, and that was cool. Um, we actually uh, did some very, very special things. Um, as an all-Black team, we raised over $350,000 of institutional money. Um, so not angels, not friends and family, uh, institutional money, which um, less than 1% of uh, startups do. And then less than 1% of those startups actually have minority members on their founding team. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, that was a, a very pretty cool thing. Uh, did that for a few years. Uh, and then all of that, that went left at kind of all of a sudden. <laughs> and then, uh, then I was kind of stuck and looking for like, you know, what's the next thing? You know, I, I know a whole bunch of, a bunch of ways to make money, but what's the, what's the best way for me and, uh, and my, my, my peace of mind, you know, my mind state, where I am right now. And uh, so I looked into a whole bunch of things. I got real heavy on the self-development again, got heavy in the podcast. That's when I discovered you guys, uh, Earn Your Leisure, um, a bunch of other people. And, um, but really, uh, you guys did a podcast with, uh, with Hugo, right? Y'all had Hugo on a couple of times. And uh, I somehow got connected with Hugo on Twitter and he, you know, he would always, you know, talk about stories from people 
on, uh, you know, on his TL that were doing big things. And he was talking about, you know, a uh, 20-year-old trader, options trader that was always on the TL, posting games and, and how much bread he was making. I was like, oh, I know how to trade options. I was like, you know, like I've been in the financial markets for, for a decade. I've traded options uh, before pretty successfully. Um, I was like, well, let me, uh, let me stack my bread back up and do that. And so I did. And, uh, you know, um, here I am, uh, you know, a, a little while later, um, now I, I, I teach people how to trade options. Um, my options trading is going, going really well. I'm on track to make, um, seven figures this year. Um, and that, you know, that's definitely a record year for me. <laughs> uh, so that's the, you know, that's, that's more than the last 10 years combined. And so that just, that, that makes me really excited to know that, uh, you know, I was able to, through these different business podcasts and following the right people on Twitter and all that, being able to spark something in me that just was like, oh, this is a skill that you have already if you apply this skill the way that these people are, then you can do what these people are doing. That's major, man. And speaking speaking on options, man. So this is a this is a topic that is kind of big right now. A lot of people are interested in because they know, like you said, it's a way to make money where you don't. A lot of times you don't need a whole bunch of money in it, but. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but speaking from, let's say, let's say from a beginner, let's say somebody that's interested in it, like how, and this probably might be a dumb question, and but how does someone become a a, a good options trader? Because you see people lose, like I see people lose a lot of money too. Um, man, becoming a good trader in any financial market takes some time, right? Um, and so, like the the good thing for me was. I had 10 years of financial experience. <laughs> and so, and I had done it before. Um, because being a good options trader, being a good trader is not just about how much money you make, right? It's about how much money you keep. Cause you could easily luck your way into something that's like a Tesla call, <laughs> right? All right. And, it, and it ended up going crazy. It ended up, you know, 10 20 x in your money and then you're like oh this is how everything's supposed to be and then you go into the to the next few plays and you you lose that whole thing because you're trying to chase that same level of profit you know not knowing that that's not really how the game goes um and so i think what makes a good good options trader really is your uh your ability to manage risk uh, that's that's the first thing uh but the other big thing is the ability to control your emotions and know when you are um, making emotional decisions to get into a trade, get out of a trade, as opposed to making decisions that's based on your analysis. Um, and, and I think that uh, that once you are able to do those things, the other parts of trading are kind of kind of simple, right? Um, you learn how to read charts, the technical analysis. You learn that part. That's easy. You can do a lot of that on YouTube. You know what I'm saying? Um, learning, uh, learning things like the Greeks, um, which is somewhat unnecessary for people who aren't trading professionally. Um, but 
uh, you know, still good to know, but those things are easy to learn. There's a bunch of trading books and all that stuff out there. But the one thing that none of that stuff will give you is experience and uh, emotional control um, and the ability to really risk manage properly. And so that's, um, I think that's, that's what it takes to really be a, a good options trader. Okay. So I think it's, I really think options trading is very interesting because, you know, you always hear people talking about getting into um, stock investing, but they mm -hmm. don't talk about options trading as much. And it can definitely be very profitable as, you know, your story tells. And I have a ton of questions for you. So one thing I want you to dive into a little is what is the difference between stock investing and options trading for the people who really don't know or think they're the same thing? Sure. So uh, when you invest in a stock, let's say, let, let's take Apple, for example, you buy a share in Apple um, and you are buying that in hopes that that, that stock will appreciate over time. Um, and that's something that you can buy and hold forever. Um, and if Apple starts to go down, <laughs> that's cool because you can buy some more shares, especially like with a lot of these blue chip companies, a lot of them definitely have ways to continue to grow and so you know you know maybe they might grow slowly maybe they might grow at you know a couple of percentage points a year um but usually a, a better i would say kind of long-term investment uh is, is being able to invest in stock um so that's that's kind of a way to grow and protect your money to a degree if you know what you're doing there um options is not investing uh, options is trading. So, so we're not, as options traders, we're not necessarily looking for companies that are going up in value, and we're not looking for what companies are necessarily going to be doing over the long term. Uh, what options, uh, basically what an option is, it's a contract to actually buy or sell 100 shares of a stock at a certain price. And so we're really trading the value of those contracts when we're trading options, not necessarily the stock. And those contracts have expiration dates. And so, uh, you know, once they expire, they're worthless. So it's not like, you know, you can just hold them forever and wait till they come back. Like, you know, you hold it through expiration and then it's worth nothing. You lost all your bread. So it's a little bit more of a risky uh, type of um, money-making thing. Uh, but if you know what you're doing and you risk manage properly, then you could definitely uh, make money very, very consistently with options. So if you're trading options and let's say, um, you know, it's before the expiration date, let's say you're already like in the green, you're profiting, can you pull out then before the actual expiration date or do you have to wait for it to expire? No, absolutely. Um, a lot of my trades, I'm not even in for 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's like I'm in there, you know, I grab, you know, 10, 15, 20% and then I, I'm out. Um, and so uh, that really is, is one of the cool things. Because the cool thing about options is like you're making money off the price movement and the underlying stock. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's moving up, whether it's moving down, as long as you're on the right side of that, um, you know, given with, with some exceptions. Now, like there's not like, uh, <laughs> let's say like the stock is $100 a share and you make a bet that it's going to go to $200 a share by next week then, you know, if, if that stock's going up, even even if it's going up aggressively, 
uh, you're probably not going to make a whole lot of money on that premium because your option doesn't really have a snowball's chance of hell of getting to 200. <laughs> so that premium is not, the value of that contract is still going to be pretty close to zero because mm -hmm. nobody's going to be able to actually exercise it and then and, and use that contract to buy 100 shares of that stock. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, you can, you can sell it at any point. Um, you can hold it until expiration. You can um, if you mess around and get something that's really, really good, like maybe you do get one of those weird, uh, like options on one of those stocks that go from like $10 a share to like $20 a share in a week, <laughs> you know, um, then you can exercise your option, right? And buy your hundred, hundred shares at $10 a share, right? Um, while the value is at 20. Mm -hmm. And so, and so once you buy, you're automatically in profit. So there's a bunch of different ways to profit from options, but on the retail side, and when I say retail, I mean, anybody that's not a professional in investor on the retail side, um, usually, uh, nobody's going to be exercising options. Usually we're just trading premium. Okay. So, uh, another thing, something that you were saying that the shares can be like $10 a share, but you said you have to buy a hundred. So yeah. is that the minimum and how much money would you say someone needs to get started? So, um, so, and when I say the shares, I, I meant like the share price of the stock, mm -hmm. um, the option price is different. So the option is, is the option price is what's called premium. Right. Um, and so, there are definitely some less expensive options out there um, that you can pay as little as, you know, $50 for a quality option. Um, and then there's, you know, options that you can pay as much as a couple of thousand dollars for, for one contract, right? The thing about exercising, when you said buying the shares, so when you do actually decide you want to exercise the contract instead of selling that contract back into the options market, um, then you have to buy all hundred shares because that's what the contract is for, right? You have to completely fulfill the contract, which is why most people, most options traders don't ever exercise because, you know, a lot of people don't want to use the cash outlay to buy a hundred shares of the stock. Um, and a lot of times I know with me, like, I'm not even looking at companies, you know, for the long term when I'm trading options on them. I'm trying to see what are you about to do in the next 24 hours, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, 24 to 48 hours. And then, you know, then I'm trying to be out. So um, it definitely depends on your, your trading style and your risk tolerance and your investing style, um, how you want to use money to make options. But there definitely are uh, a ton of different ways to. You got any more questions, D? I, I, oh, I can keep going. I, <laughs> I see it in your face. Go ahead. But something else I want to ask you. So, um, so how do you personally like lay out your strategy for you to like get started and um, purchase an option? Um, so for me, um, I like to look at um, the first thing that I the first thing that I did um, before I even made my first options trade. Uh, when I got back into options trading was I looked at about just 40 companies that I knew very well, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I just started watching them and watching their charts um, day after day, right? Just every day checking in, seeing what happened with the stock, seeing how it moves or whatever. So I started to like learn a few of those companies very, very intimately. Uh, and then some of the companies on that list, I realized, you know, the, the prices, uh, the stock price doesn't move all that much. It's not that volatile. So playing an option on it uh, is something that requires price movement, <laughs> you know, something that's not very volatile, something that's super stable is probably not going to be something that's going to make me a ton of money. And so I removed those from the watch list. And so just trimming the watch list. Um, but uh, once you have your watch list together, uh, and again, I think that that number can be as small as like 15 companies. Um, it can be as, as big as, as you want it to be. Um, I like to keep it under, under 40. Um, because then you start having decision fatigue. You're like, okay, what am I going to invest in you? Just all over the place. And I like to sleep, y'all. Like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I'm about to be charting all day, every day. <laughs> like, uh, once the market is over, uh, if I don't have consults, um, trading is already kind of stressful enough. I don't want to be charting all night. <laughs> you know, I got a wife. Um, so, you know, I have a life. And uh, so, yeah, it's just, I, I look at my watch list a lot. Um, I do have a couple of different, uh, different scanners. And so like what the scanners are is uh, you, you've, you guys have probably heard the term indicators when it comes to uh, stocks and stock charts, right? Yep. Um, and so like all of these indicators have numerical values. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can actually set up screeners um, on different services and depending on how advanced your brokerage is uh, on your brokerage itself, you can set up screeners that say, well, hey, when, uh, let me know anytime a stock with this certain criteria um, hits, this, uh, hits this number on this indicator. And then that, that'll alert me, hey, I might need to go take a look at this stock that's not necessarily on my watch list, but it's giving me a trade setup that I can make some money from. And so those are really the two main ways. It's either my watch list or uh, screeners from, from different types of trade setups that, I, that I've learned to look for uh, over time. Okay. I like how you, uh, you know, you definitely take your time and do your research and you put a lot of thought into it because I feel like that's what anything when it comes to investing, you definitely got to have a plan, a strategy and do your research. Due diligence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's key right there. And I know, I know, like you mentioned earlier, so I know people, people heard what you mentioned earlier about you uh, almost in the seven figures this year. <laughs> that's what people, you know, that's just, that's what people want to know. They're like, what? That, that's a meal in a year on options trading. So what do you, what do you attribute? What do you, what would you, what, would you, what would you attribute that to? Um, I think just, just belief in myself. Um, watching, Look, man, <laughs> so I'm going to tell y'all uh, this story. And it, it's funny that I'm here so early because uh, January 1st, uh, I was, uh, like, I, like I told y'all, I had, uh, I, I told y'all earlier I had the tech startup and that kind of blew up in my face or whatever. I had some co-founder co co clash. And um, what happened with that was, Towards the last couple of months of the startup, 
we stopped taking paychecks to make our money stretch while we were waiting on new investors. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when it became apparent that we weren't going to get new investors, um, a lot of, you know, some of it was like my co-founder had did some, some messed up stuff, not like, not, he didn't do anything criminal. He just, uh, it's very important for people to like you. And so sometimes, (laughs) and, uh, you can't be an asshole to people when you need their money. (laughs) And, uh, so, so he did that. And, um, so we ended up not really being able to raise in, in the end and uh, to raise more anyway. Um, and so when I was getting ready to step away and remind, you know, remember me and this guy have been friends since like sixth grade, but uh, I, I decided to walk away. He was bitter about that. Uh, one of our advisors uh, wanted to hire me uh, as his head of business development at his, uh, cyber, his cybersecurity firm. Uh, which would have been a uh, well over six-figure job. <laughs> and my co-founder actually came in and tried to sue the advisor saying that he was violating the non-solicit and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and so it really like blocked that for me for a few months. And so here, here we are, like now I'm like, and I eventually did get that job, but I really went without an income for like six months mm. um, when it really should have only been like the two, but dealing with all the legal stuff with, with switching companies ended up being six months. So in that time, I was like, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I've done all these cool things. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not about to go and do like meaningless work, I guess. And so like legit, I like, I don't let my, I don't let my ego or my pride get in the way of me getting this money or providing for my family. Uh, and that's something that a lot of people I think need to make sure that they understand, like don't look down at taking a job or doing something for money um, when you need to, to support your family. And so like, for me, I went, I drove for Uber Eats and that was like, you know, that was kind of, for me, it was a little bit embarrassing, but it was like, man, people drive for Uber Eats. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it was cool. So I actually made, uh, and I'm in a major metro, so I actually made decent money. Um, but, you know, the whole time I was just playing catch up from the six months, you know, I didn't have a salary. Um, even when I did get the new job, I still was driving for Uber Eats in the evening because it was like, <laughs> yeah, I got to catch up, bro. Like, you know, and so, um, but, you know, so I, I literally, what we did, we, me and my wife, we went kind of dead broke um, in 2019, January 1st, uh, not even January 1st. Um, I, I usually set my New Year's resolutions uh, a, a couple of weeks before the new year, because um, I just like to, like to start getting in the habit. So January 1st, I'm hitting the ground running. Um, and uh, I had been listening to y'all podcast. And so January 1st, I actually... Went sat down, I started writing down goals and uh, writing down, telling y'all this exact story of how <laughs> I had nothing, <laughs> right? I was like, oh, by, you know, by January 2021, I'm going to be on millionaire mindsets telling, hey, these people, <laughs> telling these people how I had nothing coming into 2020 and, uh, and then was about to make, a, you know, it made a million in 2020. Uh, and so legit, I um, I didn't even really have the, bra- I, I always tell my students like, yo, you got to come into options 
and you really, in in practice, you should have, you know, some bread to play with, like at least a, probably about a thousand dollars, right? I came in the options with a hundred. <laughs> I had a hundred dollars, and I was like, I'm a I'm a figure out, you know, a, a way to make this work. And and really, it was like, you know, I had the hundred, but I was like, you know what, I'm gonna you know, by the end of the month, I will actually have more money to contribute. But again, I have been studying. I've been looking at charts for months. I had, I saw a setup that I really liked. And so I took my hundred dollars and I made a trade and that trade, uh, uh, it, it cost me like $84 and I sold it for 416. I will never forget like those numbers. I, I paid 84, I sold it for 416. And by the end of January, I had turned that $100 into $3,200. And then um, I added another band to the account uh, in February. And after that, like, like it's, it's just been it's just been kind of smooth. So I've just been growing my account since then. I definitely had some ups and downs. Uh, so I, I don't want y'all to think that like, oh, I just been winning, winning, winning. Um, no, it definitely had some ups and downs, but um, I was more like, I'm gonna grow the account based on the the you know the money that I have, and eventually it'll turn into bigger gains. And so it felt very very slow at first, you know, January, February, March. I was making decent money. April got a little better. Uh, May got a little better. And then June, you know, my account size has started to get, you know, pretty, pretty solid. And then I noticed like, yo, I used to like, you know, January, I made 3000 a month and now I'm making 3000 every week. I'm like, okay, let me, let me, let me up my goals a little bit. Let me get a little bit, um, you know, uh, you know, not necessarily more aggressive because that, that can definitely bite you in the ass when it comes to trading options. But, you know, let, let me play with some bigger contracts. Let, let me stop playing um, in, in the shallow end of the pool. So I, I, I hopped off into the deep end and then um, I started seeing that 3000 a week go from 5000 a week. And, you know, now in the last month, I've had uh, two $10,000 weeks. I don't think I've made less than six in any given week in the last month uh, trading options. Hey, what's crazy is I got three things. What's crazy is I forgot, I forgot that you said that about, you know, about the tweet when you was like, I'm going to be telling my story on man. You did. That was like a year ago, bro. Yeah. I remember that. I, bro, I'm definitely, bro, he's definitely telling Yo, that's fucking well, excuse, excuse my language, but that's crazy, dog. I, I tweeted y'all that. And that and I, you know, I, that was back. I had like 300 followers then. Like, yeah. I, didn't have, I wasn't doing no consult. I was like, oh, hey, that is crazy. Yeah. I remember that when he said it. I'm like, oh, you did tweet that. He was like, yeah, I'm going to be on the process and I'll be telling my story. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that just blew my mind for a second. That you you, you won't hear now. You're really talking your stuff and you're really living it. And secondly, yeah. secondly is uh, a couple weeks ago, for those who don't know, me, Justin, Josh, uh, Reggie, and Amai, we got a podcast called Four Brothers and One Doctor come on every Thursday at uh, 5 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. And yeah. we had DG on, and he talked about 
Um, it was we we always started we always started off we'd be like how your week going this and that, and DG was like yeah man he's like man I'm about eight eight eight, eight stacks up this week I'm like man he DG really doing it man like he came he came a long way in a quick time but like he said though because people hear stuff like this they be like man it happened so fast but they don't like they might not see the like you said you've been in the finance industry for ten years you've been yeah. gathering information for a long time so now it's just man going tenfold for you. So that's like, man, that's like really amazing story, bro. I just want to salute you on that because I, I, I swear I totally forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, 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 that's uh, crazy, bro. Then, I'm, glad, I'm glad you removed the tweet, bro. I, yeah. that's, why, that's why I tweeted it. I, I, I tweeted it specifically for this moment. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I got to find it when we get done just so I could just so I can show people that, because that's, you know, that's crazy, dog. But, but uh, I wanted to ask you, though, because we, we haven't talked, we haven't talked about platforms yet. So what are the platforms that you prefer to use? Because I know a lot of times you got people, like, I like Robinhood, but a lot of people shit on Robinhood. So what platforms do you like? As they should. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I actually do, I you know, so I actually do trade on Robinhood from time to time. Um, uh, it's not the worst platform to execute trades and definitely not the best. Um, but I actually prefer uh, TD Ameritrade. Uh, so I have my brokerage account with TD Ameritrade and then they have a trading platform called Thinkorswim. And uh, for me, I think, you know, even though the uh, it's not free options trading, the 65 cents per contract, that little bit of commission. Uh, so this is where being in the finance industry for a long time helped out, right? Um, so trading on Robinhood, you have uh, you have a lot of lag time in filling your orders, um, and it doesn't seem like a lot because it's really only like a couple of seconds, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so it doesn't seem like a lot of time, but when you're trading options, a couple of seconds can cost you, you know, a few dollars. Um, whereas you know on Robinhood, usually, I mean on TD Ameritrade, Think or Swim, usually the fills are pretty instant. And so, um, like, I'm not ever having to go in and cancel and resubmit my order at a higher price or whatever. Um, so it costs me a lot less to pay that 65 cents per contract in the long run than to constantly be having issues with lag on field times or constantly, constantly have the, uh, the Robinhood app always going down. You know, no, no shade to Robinhood. Please don't come after you, boy. Uh, you know, just I prefer to have a more reliable platform that I do pay commissions on as opposed to, you know, having a, a, a platform that's, you know, even a little bit buggy um, that is totally free. So, but I do have, uh, I do have both uh, Robinhood's kind of my backup account. Um, and so I actually, uh, like they do have some cool things. It's, they make it very accessible. Um, the cash management there. You can get a debit card for the account. And so I actually use my Robinhood account. That's like my my play money. And if I need to dip into it for like any type of like, maybe I have a bill or something, then I'll just swipe the Robinhood card uh, for that. But like my actual account that I'm that I'm building this million in, that's that's my I'm I'm doing that TD Ameritrade on my fingers. Mm. Something that uh, just hit me is you said that you're building, you're about to have a seven-figure year 
yeah. in the midst of everything that's been going on 2020 with the yeah. pandemic, yeah. Uh, stock market, like <laughs> here crashing back in March and all that. So for you, like, how has this even been possible? Like, did, was it not affected or did you use a strategy I mean, to help you win? I mean, so when the market crashed, I think, you know, we got to a point where um, people who were in the markets trading, like we kind of knew that something was coming, right? We didn't know what was coming, but you started to see it where every Friday you were getting, at the end of the day, you were getting these huge sell-offs in the market because nobody wanted to hold anything through the weekends. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, cause it was like some, something is going to happen with this coronavirus over the weekend as it's going to send the stock market plummeting. Um, and then finally, like one weekend it actually did, uh, you know, uh, we, we came back that Monday and it was you know, one of the worst days in stock market history. And uh, <laughs> fun, funny enough, Robinhood was actually down. So you saw a lot of traders get blown out on that day because Robinhood couldn't handle the traffic with people trying to get out of positions. And you just, it just shut, like the app was shut down, not just that Monday, but also that Tuesday, which was also one of the worst days in the history of the stock market. So. People lost a lot of their worth then. Um, but knowing what you're doing, like all you had to do, literally, if you if you were able to, you know, you see the market crashing hard, you buy some puts and you ride those and you make right. money on the way down. And so that actually was a big catalyst to um, boosting my account size was the stock market crash. Um, because I was short the market at the time and you know that that ended up making me a bunch of money um and so that definitely accelerated my goal quite a bit um and then uh the other thing i think with COVID, um uh, <laughs> that that was a blessing was so many other people woke up to the idea of like yo my job about to lay me off ain't nothing i can really do about it I need a skill that's not dependent on somebody else for me to be able to make money. And um, so people were seeing me talk about options and people were, were constantly reaching out and reaching out. I never wanted to do consulting, y'all. Like, <laughs> I, bruh, I never wanted to teach people how to trade options. Like I did, I had the, uh, the Black Financial Excellence threads on Twitter that I would, you know, teach people stuff from my personal finance days. Um, and just give them give them some free game there, but like the option stuff, people would message me about it, and I was like, yeah, I'm I don't teach, like just go on YouTube or whatever. But then one day I got a DM that was like, yo, uh, how much do I have to pay you to talk to you for 15 minutes? And I was like, huh, <laughs> okay, <You got> it. <laughs> all right, well. <laughs> And uh, and so then that that kind of opened my my eyes to to the idea like people people really had a hunger for for learning um, stuff that could make them money um, and they could have some autonomy and right. and, uh, and kind of be their own boss and so uh, I started the um, I started consulting in probably mid March um, and so again like. Now we three months in and over a hundred students, um, and probably about twenty of them are full time traders. So about twenty percent of my students already are full time traders. 
um, making making profits. Uh, and then, you know, a bunch of other ones are, you know, doing it while they're also working jobs, um, but they're also making profits. Um, and the craziest part for me was people signed up for my options group knowing that on the front end, like, DG isn't going to be in here dropping a whole bunch of options plays. Like, DG is here to build you into a trader. Like, I'm not here to turn you into a pick follower because if I get hit by a bus, then you're going to be right back to not making bread. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I really wanted to make sure that I had a, uh, a group that I was teaching people how to fish instead of just giving them fish. Um, and, and so that was a blessing too. So like everything that COVID did in terms of like um, kind of keeping people inside and making people have to find more creative ways to make money um, ended up benefiting me. Um, so I just was in the right place at the right time and, and I was prepared, uh, which is very important. Um, like even hopping into options trading, um, you know, when I did like, I didn't just hop into options trading. Like I said, I had a watch list six months before I made the first trade. I was paper trading, uh, which for those who don't know who, what paper trading is, uh, a lot of brokerages uh, have basically simulated trading where they give you like any amount of like monopoly money and you go in and you can make trades in the market and they you know, they just reflect your monopoly money account balance. It's, it's practice. Uh, and so I was doing that. So I, I didn't I didn't come into trading options um, with any real, um, you know, I, I came into it with the skill set. Like, it wasn't just like I came in and then all of a sudden I got good at it. Like, no, I was already good at it before I started putting my money on the line. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> only, yeah. I only remember, well, who asked the question? Me or Dee? I don't De remember. Deanna, Deanna. Uh, it definitely was answered. <laughs> but but I, ideally, for, for say, say beginners, ideally, how long do you think they should be studying and building their watch list before they even make a trade? How long? Um. Honestly, like, I do think that if you have any, if you have some knowledge about either another financial market like crypto, like crypto markets, forex markets, etc., uh, or if you, you know, even if you know enough about uh, stocks to to have done some buy and holds like long term, uh, and then all you're really doing is learning. Uh, you know, the technical analysis of how to read the charts in the short term, um, I would say two weeks, you can probably make your first live trade uh, if you're dedicated to actually learning the craft. Um, you know, you give it two weeks, a couple of hours a day, uh, maybe go a little bit harder on the weekends. Um, you can learn all of the principles that you need to be able to trade. The thing, the thing that's going to only come with experience is that emotional control I was talking about earlier. Um, and, you know, with that, it's better, honestly, to, to get started sooner rather than later. So it's really not, not really as good to, to sit 
sit around and just study, study, study for six months. The only reason I study, study, study for six months is because I didn't have the bread to really trade. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, so it was like, I right, I'll just go study, study, study and get get like get masterful at this. And then once I had the bread to trade, you know, then it was like, all right, boom, you hit the ground running. Uh, but yeah, a lot of my I have full-time traders, and I, again, I told you my, my options group has only been open three months. I got full-time traders that never made a trade before they hopped in my group mm. that are like, that's what they do for a living. You know what I'm saying? Like, they pay the, and they're paying their bills through options trading. So that's that's really cool to me. Um, you know. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing, bro. Yeah, so... So yeah, it, it it doesn't have to take a long time. It just ta- it it does take, you know, a little bit of effort, but it does not have to take a long time. Something I wanted to confirm with you, but when you're trading options, mm-hmm. you can only lose the money you put in. You don't end up owing on the um trades that you lose. Like 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 that like that dude so that dude that committed suicide. So so you can end up owing. Okay. Um, but it's only in very specific circumstances. So, um, essentially, let's say you, let's say you decided you wanted to, cause you can buy options, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then you can also do what's called writing options, uh, which means you are the initial seller of the contract, um, on, on that stock, right? You're the initial seller of that options contract. So some brokerages will let you write those contracts on margin. Um, and margin is essentially credit for your trading account. And depending on what brokerage you're with, like I know Robinhood and, and that guy scenario, Robinhood gives you basically your entire account value in margin. You do have to have a certain threshold. So I think you have to have over, um, over $2,000 in the account to even enable margin. Uh, but then usually what they'll do is if you have 2000 then they'll give you, um, I think, and I think they've actually changed it to where they only give you 50%. But um, earlier in the year was if you had 2000 they would give you 2000 in margin. Now, now I think if you got $2,000, they will give you 1000 in margin, right? Um, and then if you get to, you know, a million, they'll give you 500000 in margin, right? So you see how that can get dangerous, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But like if you're selling those contracts, um, essentially what that means is uh, you have to have the 100 shares of the, you're responsible for that 100 shares also if somebody decides to exercise that contract. So let's say the stock's $100 a share, right? And you write, uh, you write a contract that says uh, that's like a, a $200 strike price, right? Um, let's say you don't own the shares of the stock. Well, then you're going to pay, uh, you're going to pay to write the contract. And if you don't own the shares, then what happens is uh, as those shares increase in value, if, the, if that person, um, let's say, you no, let's say you write the contract for $105, right? But then the stock goes to 200, right? you have to sell 100 shares of that stock to that person at $105 a share. So if you don't own those 100 shares already when you wrote the contract and it goes to 200, then you got to go buy 100 shares at 200 and then sell it 
at 105. And so that could definitely be something that ends up happening, um, like it, uh, affecting your margin. Mm -hmm. um, so like there, it's, it's a very like, it's not a super common scenario or rather it shouldn't be. Um, but people definitely, uh, people definitely put themselves in those kind of positions. Um, but I think a lot of that is, is goes to like education about options and even how people are learning about options because it's definitely, uh, you know, I, I am one of those people. And yes, I do have, I do have a discord. So this, this is a little self-serving. Um, I do think that you need to go into options trading with some kind of uh, a mentor or just somebody that already knows what they're doing. Um, and I don't mean like buying a course because I'm, I'm never going to sell a course. Like I'm never going to sell a course because all I can do in a course is give you information, mm -hmm. right? And the information that I give you, honestly, you, you, you'll be able to get from anywhere on the internet. The problem is when people go straight to the internet and they're learning about options, a lot of the information that's out there is more for people that have huge account sizes or that are looking to be like, to trade like the pros, quote unquote. And with that, you need a little bit more bread. And some of those strategies actually don't really work if you don't have a lot of money to play with. Mm -hmm. um, and so really they just add to your cash outlay and uh, lower your ability to make profit. And so knowing what you need to be learning as a beginning trader is very important. And I think that's why, um, that's why mentorship is important when you are getting into the financial markets uh, and not just going on the internet and, and reading everything you can get your hands on because, you know, all that information, uh, you know, might not be applicable to you, uh, especially early on, but then you try to apply it not knowing that it's not applicable to you and, you know, you get your ass handed to you. <laughs> so you think you think the biggest mistake beginners make is that emotional instability? Um, that's probably that is probably the biggest mistake I would say. Um, I would say, you know, hopping in because a lot of times, so so one of two things is going to happen on your first trade. You're going to either win or you're going to lose, <laughs> right? Um, so you know, if you win. You know, let's say, you know, your first trade is 100% ROI, right? And that happens in a couple of days or maybe overnight. Then what happens is you think, oh, this is easy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, or let's say the first trade you make, you lose half of your bread. Then you're like, damn, this, this, ain't, this ain't really worth it. And then you get shaken out. And then you start getting like more timid with your trades and you're, you're taking smaller gains than you should. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't want to, you just don't want to lose a bunch of money. So you're like, every time you see like 5%, you're like, Ooh, let me take it. But you're going to have losses. And so like you have to have at least big enough gains to be able to, you know, offset some of the losses that you're going to have. So you can't always be one of those, you know, see profit, take profit people. Like you can't always sell at 5%, 10% profit. People say you never go broke taking profit. And that's not really true if, you know, if you're only taking 10% on trades and then 
you know, even if you're taking 10% on like eight out of 10 of your trades, if you lose 30 on one, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's going, that's going, that's going to hurt hard because you're not making enough on that, on the, uh, on the winners um, to really make up for that loss. So uh, yeah, that, that emotional instability definitely gets the best of people a lot. And then also just not trusting, uh, not trusting their levels. Um, so when they're doing a technical analysis, not trusting what the analysis is telling them. So looking more at the uh, premium and maybe not even really, not even really necessarily um, looking at the percentage of the premium, but looking at the dollar amount. Cause like, uh, I'll give you an example of how even me as a seasoned trader, um, you know, can have some of this. So I recently, I said I would never do this, but um, they finally got me. I recently started trading Tesla options. Like I watched them long enough. I have, uh, you know, friends who also trade Tesla options successfully that are also good traders. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to trade some Tesla options. And uh, so the thing with Tesla is that options premium, that options premium might swing, you know, a few hundred dollars every, you know, 60 seconds. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so like if the stock starts pulling back or, or just moving against you in any uh, you know, for any small amount of time, you'll look at the premium and think it's taken. And, um, you know, it really is not even a big amount of the premiums that the premium is so high that, you know, a 1% move, uh, you know, or, or a 10% move might cost you, you know, $150, you know, $200, $300 very, very quickly. Um, and so people look at those, those nominal dollar amounts and are not paying attention to the levels and they either sell too early or they sell too late or you know, whatever the case may be. So um, really just getting into that discipline of what are my charts telling me? What is my analysis telling me? Um, and trade based off that versus like looking at options premium and looking at the dollar amount that you're either losing or gaining and, and, just getting scared out of a position. Um, that's something that happens to beginners a lot as they just get scared out of out of position. Makes sense. I can see that. And something that just crossed my mind, and it's kind of off topic, but now you earlier you mentioned how you pretty much lost out on the man on the contract because they are old, <laughs> old tweets. And I feel like like when you said it, I don't know why it really just hit me now, like thirty minutes later. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like this is. I feel like this is something that needs to be talked about more. Because me personally, I always talk about how people always say, I always say, tweet for your future self. And what I mean by that, I'm saying is, because it's it's social media, and you might not be thinking it's that important, it's that big of a deal. But that's a prime example of how your tweets can come back to bite you in the ass. So you always got to be thinking long term, thinking like, because me personally, this is how I tweet. Like, I don't ever really tweet wild stuff because I always think, like, okay, if I tweet this, how what, well, like, how could this possibly be used against me at a later date? I always think like that when I tweet something because I'm like, you never know what life's going to take you. You never know, like, where you'll be five years from now. Hell, even six months from now, you don't know where you'll be. You don't know who. Everybody checks people's social media before they do any dealings with them anyway, so you never know who's going to be going through your social media and see something crazy that you tweeted 
eight years ago or even last month and they like, oh, no, nah, it's over. I'm not dealing with this person. So I just want to speak on that to people. Just be super mindful and super tr- tweet for your future itself or post yeah. on Instagram for your future self. Same for Facebook. Don't be doing stuff erratically and cra- crazy yeah. stuff. And, and um, I do want that. We weren't recording when we had that conversation. Oh, we wasn't. Yes, I think. Oh, <laughs> so, so I'm a, uh, you mind if I give people background? Yeah, go ahead. My bad, bro. I thought, oh, no, I, yeah. so, so, you know, I've mentioned the, the tech startup in this conversation since we've been recording. Uh, but what I, what I, what we haven't talked about is in the beginning, uh, when we were first, when we first came up with the idea, we had a business plan. We got our, our business plan and our idea in front of a, uh, in front of an investing group in Chicago, and. Uh, we got to the due diligence phase, <laughs> you know, they, they put, they gave us an offer. They were like, look, we're going to give y'all a million dollars for 30% of the company. Um, you know, we do still have some due diligence to do, but we like what you guys are doing. Blah, 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 blah. Well, uh, <laughs> we walk into that meeting and it was four of us with four black guys. They uh, they had four big ass stacks of papers <laughs> sitting on the table, and we're like, "What is that?" And like, these are y'all's tweets. <laughs> uh, and my it's a group of like old white men and one older white woman, uh, and, and I'm thinking because my old Twitter, um, I actually used to I, I used to have about fifty thousand followers on Twitter. <laughs> Um, I was like a part of OG Twitter. Like, I don't know, people listening to this might remember dudes like The Killer Truth um, or remember like when Lil Duval was first coming up on Twitter. But like, I came up in that era on Twitter. Yeah, uh, people were just saying anything. Yeah, because we, we, yeah, we, we, weren't, we weren't tweeting to be influencers. We were tweeting to have fun, you know what right. I'm um, The influencers weren't a thing back then. And so uh, I was like, man, I know how to say some reckless stuff on my Twitter. Like, what are they going to bring up? And really what they brought up was like, oh, you just say nigga a lot. And I don't know, like, what the issue, uh, but, you know, they were old white people. So they're like, we can't say it. So why are you saying it? You know what I'm saying? But um, there were definitely worse things in there. Uh, and they, they, brought, they, they, brought, they brought some other stuff, you know, out. And they were like, yeah, we, we, we really, we can't, uh, in good conscience, put, you know, put this kind of money behind an idea um, when, you know, we believe that the founders might present a moral hazard based on, uh, you know, the type of social media activity mm-hmm. that y'all got going on. And again, oh, we're also four black dudes from the hood too. So, so that that uh that didn't help things any either. <laughs> um, so uh, legit. After that, I went and deleted that Twitter. That Twitter account with fifty thousand <laughs> followers, knowing that like at the time, so this was in 2015, so influencers were finally becoming a thing, right? And so knowing that I could have went one way and leveraged that that following to, to become an influencer, but I had a, I had a, a billion dollar dream in, in, in the tech startup that we had. Um, so I deleted all of that and I started, and I had this, this, uh, this old like burner account that I just, you know, had way back then to, to tweet like random song lyrics and so people wouldn't think I was depressed. Uh, so I just, I took that one uh, and I made it, made it this, I'm not DG. Uh, so that's why I ended up going nine because I was like, I don't want my name attached to it. Um, 
you know, and so it's just kind of play. Like if y'all think that this me is not me, I'm, <laughs> you know. But yeah, so so Twitter did end up costing me a million dollars. Uh, me and my company, a million dollars. And uh, when that happened, you definitely start to look at social media a lot differently. I'm not saying don't be on social media acting reckless. I'm just saying if you're gonna be on social media acting reckless, make sure you do it on something that's not attached to you. Uh, like that they can't just type your name into the internet and your tweets come up and then it's like, oh, okay, this, <laughs> this how you living out here, right? Okay, cool. Right, uh, right. And people, I feel like people, people probably hear that and be like, well, I ain't doing nothing crazy. I ain't trying to do no crazy business ventures or nothing like that. But like I said before, you never know. You never life, know where life is taking. Like, I like, never, I, I mean, I never thought when I was 18, 19 years old and I would be in a position, even in a, even in a position to be in a room where somebody was talking about giving me a million dollars. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like for some business that I was starting. I never thought that I would be in that position. And I damn sure ain't think they was going to go look at my Twitter and see how often I said nigga, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy, man. Uh, like on that note, because I know a lot of people are, I mean, would love to be in that position to like, you know, sitting at a table getting offered a million dollars for your company. And like for you guys, did you do anything like specific to raise that capital or have like a strategy? Um, no, it was positioning. So uh, net, network is so important. Like your network is so crazy important. And that's the other thing that y'all need to uh, really get. Um, like you got a network and it's not just like, isn't, I don't just mean like people that you're around. Network on Twitter. Network, you know, when you're network, network everywhere you go. Like, <laughs> um, always be intentional about when you meet people. And so, it just so happened that uh, my my co-founder, who was the uh, also the person that I taught myself how to trade with, um, we both went into different sides of finance. So I went into personal finance. He went into uh, he went to go work for a hedge fund. So he went interned at a hedge fund and then he worked for um, some consulting firms and, and some other things. Um, but in our, you know, in our different ventures, we went and we met, we just met a whole bunch of people. So then when we had the idea, we just started going to our network, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like, yo, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And in his network, um, we actually uh, got connected to somebody that was involved uh, in in the uh, creation of Facebook um, back in the G, and then they connect they connected us into the to the angel investor community up in Chicago, and uh, and and then that was kind of how we got our start with, with raising the capital. Uh, but then after that, uh, after that deal fell through, then uh, we. Because we thought once we got the million on the table, we was like, well, we'll just get another million on the table. Right. Like, you know, whatever. We didn't realize how privileged of a situation that we were even in to be able to raise that capital, to be, be able to have a chance to raise that capital. Um, because then it took us, I think, eight months to raise our first dollar after that. <laughs> um, and which, you know, it was fine. Uh, you know, we had jobs and stuff, so it wasn't like, it wasn't nothing 
that'd be crazy. But yeah, it took us some time to raise our first dollar after that. Uh, but again, that was that came from networking again. Uh, you know, we had met a guy who what he did was find money for startups. Like he uh, he had a group of angels, high net worth individuals um, that like to put their money behind startups. And he just started fishing those out to his networks until, you know, we had people that was biting. Uh, and so we, we raised about, you know, a hundred, uh, 150,000 from just like individuals. And then we were, then we were going to raise another, uh, eventually we were able to raise 200,000 from, uh, from some, uh, from accelerators and, and venture capitalists. That's what's up. And I feel like, you know, networking is really an underrated skill. Cause it could take you so far. And I hate the fact that like in society, especially like with the younger generations, it's cool to come off as standoffish or kind of like antisocial. Like when you meet in new people, when in reality, like just be cool, like just be friendly, talk to some people and you never know what's going to come out of those situations or how that can help you in some shape or form. That's, that's the American way though, right? The, the rugged individualism is the quote unquote, American way, especially now, everybody wants to be, oh, I'm just, I'm so different and no new friends. Man, you better make all the new friends you can make um, because you legit never know what doors that your new friends can open. And you need to, and, and I mean, take social media seriously too, because again, like I wouldn't even, like even what I'm doing right now, even though I didn't necessarily need anybody else, man, uh, people like Hugo, uh, people like uh, uh, B, uh, B Reinvest, uh, Billionaire B, <laughs> uh, you know, people like that, um, they opened so many doors for me on Twitter that allowed me to get money off Twitter yep. <laughs> and then uh, also connect me with people that helped me get money on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, you know, it, it, it definitely... Uh, anywhere that you can network is not just anything. People like to say it's just Twitter, it's just Facebook, is you know I'm just going to church. Like nah, bro, it, it's <laughs> not just anything. Like take it serious, cause you you know thinking it's just Twitter could definitely make you miss out on a whole lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't go just for entrepreneurs, because even when you're trying to get that job you want or that position at that company. They're going to have the same, same, do the same thing they did with you. Check out your social media accounts. Do you fit like the type of, you know, person we want to have in our company? And they're going to, they're going to scope you out. So having, you know, take it seriously and conduct yourself in a, in a professional manner as much as you can. Yep. And then, you know, even, even in that corporate world, like having those, having connections, right. could definitely get you a whole lot of, like how y'all think white people, get the jobs they get that they're not qualified for. It's because they know somebody. Like, mm-hmm. that's what and, it's about. And, and that's the same. Like, we got to get in positions as Black people to where, like, our networks can put us in places that we not supposed to be on paper. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's exactly right there. And I want to make a quick pivot real quick. So Yeah, let's go. Let me ask you this. So if you don't mind sharing, what was your, what was your best trade and your worst trade? Best trade. Um, my best trade 
in terms of percentage, uh, in terms of percentage, I had a 900% trade a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was not, I made 900% in one day. Um, I, I basically caught spot. So SPY is the ticker. Um, it's the, the S&P 500 index um, ETF. And so I basically, I just caught it at the bottom and I called the top, which was very far away. It was like basically a, a, a 2% swing in the stock that day from, uh, or like a 3% swing in the stock that day from the bottom to the top. The contract expired on that day. So I bought it that morning expiring on that day, uh, caught it at the bottom and wrote it. And it went through my strike by a couple of dollars. And so I ended up making uh, 900% on that trade. And honestly, if I would have held it another 10 minutes, I would have made 1,400%. But <laughs> I just was like, I have to get out of here. The market about to close. I don't know what's going to happen in these last 10 minutes. Uh, so I'm going to slide. Uh, but yeah, so that was percentage-wise my, be my best trade. But um, in terms of uh, how much money I made on a trade, because I, I think on that trade, it cost me like, twenty dollars and i ended up uh i ended up making six seven hundred dollars something like that oh, uh, that's crazy uh, it was it was quite weird um the the biggest dollar amount trade i made actually was yesterday um <laughs> uh, oh, i made i made the trade this week i made the trade on on wednesday um and it cost me about four grand to make the trade. And I made six grand on the trade. Mm. Um, and so I cashed that out yesterday. Um, for, for yesterday being Friday, I, don't know, I know this usually airs on Sunday. So, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I just recently made that trade and made six thousand dollars off of it. And so I actually had my best single day, where I made uh, I ended up making seven grand just on Friday. Um, you know, and that's after you know making three on Monday and four on Tuesday, and uh, you know I lost now. I'm gonna tell you my losses too. I lost I lost fifteen hundred dollars on Wednesday and I didn't like that. You know what I'm saying? Um and then on Thursday I made like a grand and then yeah, seven yesterday. I mean yeah, seven on Friday. That's that's lovely right there, man. I always always the highs and lows of anything is always interesting because you can learn on each side. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you you, you wanna say something? I long uh transition. Oh, yeah, I want to, but you, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I was going to uh, kind of dive into, you know, on Twitter, I've seen your thread. I want to say it's the Black Financial Excellence yep. thread, which is really amazing. And if y'all listening, y'all should definitely scroll through it. And with you being a finance guy, you touched on a lot of important topics, like a lot. And yeah. I kind of yeah. wanted to uh, dive into some of those topics with you. And one thing <laughs> I mentioned that you, I saw that you mentioned was that, um, I want to say 50% of adults are at risk of not having enough to retire. Yeah. So I just want to see if you could dive into that a little for us. Um, yeah. So a lot of people, you know, we don't really think about retirement, um, especially while we're young. 
because we're not thinking about retiring yet. We're thinking about what career we're about to go into. Uh, we're thinking about if we want to stay in the career that we're in, you know, all of that different type of stuff. We're trying to have fun, we're trying to have families, and we don't really think about like what happens when I decide I want to stop working, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's social security right now, but if you uh, look at the way that social security is going, our generation, we probably won't have social security. That money's going to run out. Right. <laughs> because there's more being paid out of social security that's been paid that's being paid into it uh significantly oh <laughs> um, and so um that's gonna pose a problem where like our parents and our grandparents they have social security to to kind of boost their retirement and we're not gonna have that they also had pensions we don't have pensions we don't have that guaranteed um income that's gonna come after retirement, you know, we have our 401ks, but, you know, let's say you turn, like, this, and this happened so, so much in uh, 2000, around the 2008, 2009, people were, you know, 60, 63, 64 years old, getting ready to retire in a couple of years, stock market crashed and wiped out, you know, 40 to 60% of their portfolio. And then they were looking at, okay, I'm about to retire with, you know, 800,000 to now, oh, all, all I got is 200,000 saved, and this got to last me the rest of my life, well, I can't, now I got to keep working, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so it's very important to, uh, when you're thinking about retirement, to first understand what the lifestyle you want to have in retirement is, right? Because if you want to retire and just sit in your house, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, for the rest of your life, like, okay, I'm retired now, and now I'm just in the house, I don't go nowhere, I don't do nothing, um, then, you know, you might not, might not need as much, but um, if you want to, like, travel in retirement, uh, you know, that's important, it to, to, then you got to add to that number, if you want to um, really do anything, like, even if you, if you just want to live, like, um, medicine gets real expensive when you get old, even with Medicare and all that kind of stuff, help, like health, uh, protecting your health is very important. Um, like by that time, it'll probably get uh, relatively expensive in terms of, uh, you know, life insurance. If you don't have enough, you know, for your family to, to take care of that when you pass. Um, and then like, let's say, you know, you do make, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars stretch through the time you die, you don't leave anything behind for your family. Um, and so like in the, in the black community, that's, to me, um, that's something that we have to get so much better about because so many other communities get, they get these inheritances, you know, they get, you know, property and land and stocks and cash and life insurance payments and all kinds of stuff when people die, you know, like in some communities, somebody died and, like you a millionaire now because somebody died because <laughs> they said they set you up and then but they've also taught you like this is what you need to do to set up the next generation so so you know you keep up that generation we're not building generational wealth in the black community but it does start with like what are you doing in terms of putting money away for retirement to where you, you're not having to work uh, because then that's that's making your money work for you and just like saving for retirement is kind of like the baseline. It's like the gateway drug, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the gateway drug would be having like a savings account. 
but then <laughs> but then looking like long term okay how is this money going to grow and then the other thing is uh, inflation a lot of people don't think about inflation uh the average inflation rate is about three percent a year and so you know if people just have save even if they just have savings accounts and they're saving quote unquote enough money to let's say have five hundred thousand dollars at retirement um realize that five hundred thousand dollars 30 years from now is going to be worth significantly less because you've got 3% inflation year over year. Yeah. So that, that 500,000 is really going to look probably more somewhere around like half that <laughs> um, 30 years from now. So you really got to be making sure you put your money in the right places to make sure it's growing um, to at least beat inflation. Mm-hmm. You got to beat inflation. You got to You was about to say something no, I was just going to say, like, I'm glad you touched on life insurance because that's a that's a real big one. You hear it too many times where, you know, they didn't have a life insurance policy or, you know, now we're doing GoFundMe's to try and pay for the funeral or do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, life insurance, it don't cost that much to get. Like, you know, depending on your situation and how young you are and your health, it don't cost that much to just, you know, go get you a life insurance policy to have something in place for your family just in case anything happens. Because I hate to hear people say, oh, I don't want to talk about life insurance because I don't want to think about you dying. But, you know, we all going to die at some point. Like, we got to have those conversations. You got to think about your kids and their kids. Like, you know, go (laughs) get yourself everybody. No, but like it's a saying, I, I don't want to, I'm trying to think of who said it. I don't want to give the credit to the wrong person. But I think it was T.K. Kirkland that said this. So I'm not 100% sure I could be wrong. He said, he, he got this saying, he said, when you die, somebody else is supposed to blow up. And that's just the fact. It's like when you die, somebody is supposed, it's supposed to be a check. It's supposed to be a check for someone somewhere else where it's like life changing or just adding on to what they're doing. So. That's why life insurance is so so important. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to, I want to make this uh this uh last pivot again because I know it's something that we want to discuss and, and I know DJ DJ mentioned this is uh you know online is always the debate the 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 F capital capital <laughs> I can't even say the word but you know the, the people that's like we hate capitalism capitalism sucks kill the system and all oh, that blah 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 whatever. Right, kill eat the rich. It's funny because I was literally before we got on the podcast, I was literally having a conversation, we, and they literally asked me the same thing about my thoughts on that. But DG, I want to ask you, what is your thoughts on that? Oh uh, man, <laughs> this country is so backwards, bro. Because, like, yes, we are the most capitalist society on the planet, um, but. <laughs> And, and and it does have its flaws, but so does every other system. So yep. so for me, um, it becomes especially those people that 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 say, "Oh, we want to eat the rich." Like people be tweeting, "Eat the rich" from their iPhones, you know, in their apartment. Even if, even if they're struggling, even if it was the iPhone six, like bro, they got people that's homeless. If you start this eat the rich movement, like you're way more accessible to the people poorer than you, than exactly. those billionaires are accessible to you. So when the people with forks come, they gonna come for you first. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like I, I don't I don't ever want to perpetuate that idea because I know that like the dude on the street can touch me way easier than I can touch Bill Gates. Like, I'm not touching Bill like exactly. You know, 
Uh, you know, and then people from Ethan Rich Twitter, they like to, you know, they also tend to be like very peaceful kind of people too. And I don't think like, you're not about to take rich people's money <laughs> without like some kind of uh, uprising. And I don't think a lot of people are built for that. But, but, but in all seriousness though, um, I think it is important to, to take care of people. So, so some aspects of like um, social responsibility um, are important, but socialism is not the way. Like, if you look, if you look historically, like there hasn't really been a socialist, a true socialist or a communist country, that the quality of life for its citizens has has been good. And people no, like to bring up countries like Canada, uh, you know, Australia, Sweden, etc., as uh, as socialist countries. And like those people will tell you, and those governments will tell you, oh, "No, nah, we're as capitalist as anybody." Like that's that we you know our people are able we have a free market society pretty much in most of the developed world now, um, and this idea that you're going to uh, to take that away from people um, to give everybody you know equal all is going to happen is going to make everybody equally poor except for the people who are who is in charge of enforcing that they're going to demand a higher standard of living for being the enforcers. And so you still end up having the one percent. Like you still end up at, like you never get away from the one percent, no matter what economic system you go into. And so, capitalism gives you the best opportunity to get into the one percent, or at least move towards that. Any other system, then you are just stuck without hope. And I'm I'm wondering if like maybe that's what people want. Maybe they would rather know that they can't go anywhere than having the the hope of being able to go somewhere and then being disappointed like, i don't i don't really know what brings that mindset about it's very weird it's very weird and i was just i was saying and what i want to bring up a couple of things one thing is what i got something out of what you said is people that say that only really understand that rich is really relative like mm-hmm. what's what what you might think somebody else is rich that's doing better than you but somebody that's doing that's not doing as good as you might see you as rich but you saying eat the rich, and somebody might see you as that rich person they want to eat. So it's good, it's important to keep that in context. And secondly, is like it's a saying they they always say, they say socialism leads to Marxism. And as we all know, like this this is something that I don't understand. Like just being real, I'm gonna be real right now. We like a lot of us. We always talk about how we oppressed and 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 this and this and that and how fucked up. Well, excuse my language, how messed up it is. And then we'll turn around and say we want socialism where they're going to make. So you think the same people that's supposedly oppressing you is going to put you on an e- uh, equal, <laughs> uh, even playing field or something? Like, that makes zero sense at all. But, like, like, like no no sense at that. That's, like, it's not going to happen. And, and, and lastly is, like, oh, oh, man, I almost forgot my point for a minute. But, yeah, it's just, it's just not going to happen at all. Like, capitalism gives you, like you said earlier, it gives you it's not perfect. We're not saying it. It's not perfect. But it gives each person the opportunity to rise up and level up and put themselves in a better position. Socialism is just going to put everybody on an equal playing field except that 1%. It's still, like you said, it's still going to be that 1%. And you still, like, I don't want no handouts. Handouts is a form of control. That means the people that can control you, they can say, okay, you're going to make this much. You're going to make this much every month. Like, it makes no, well, the people that's, especially when it's black people that's, preaching socialism, I'm like, 
either y'all don't understand the dynamic that we in, y'all don't understand these rules, or y'all lazy, or y'all some kind of mentally like impaired or something. Because that's the worst thing, in my opinion, for black people is a social a socialist society. Well, I think like I think that goes to some miseducation on socialism. That too. Because because classroom socialism sounds right. really great. Right. It's a great, it's great. It's it, it like, sounds, it, like socialism and communism sounds super phenomenal on paper, mm-hmm. right? Um, the problem is, in practice, ultimately, human greed always gets in the way. Exactly. Um, like, because you always are going to have to have somebody that has more power, more responsibility, because they have to enforce these things. And when you have more power and more responsibility, what ends up happening is you're like, okay, well, my lifestyle gotta, you know, needs to be a little bit better. Like, I can't be worried about, you know, if my water gonna be hot when I get to the crib. You know, what I'm saying? like, you, can, you know, I can't worry about the same kind of thing as y'all worried about. Yeah, you know, like a great book for people to read who who are, um, you know, socialist or, or socialist leaning, right? Uh, would be Animal Farm by George Orwell. Um, and so Animal Farm. Um, super great book, very short read. Uh, but basically, you know, what it is, is uh, the, the, the animals on the farm feel very oppressed by the farmers. And so they revolt and they take over the farm. And the pigs are kind of the, ring, the ringleaders of this farm. And so then once the pigs, uh, once the animals take over, the pigs start saying, okay, well, we got to do this. We got to do that, and, and we can't do this. And what's happening is the pigs are taking all of the all the good stuff on the farm, and everybody else is getting their equal share, you know. And they say, like one of the quotes in the book is, "All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others." Mm-hmm. And like that, that really is in a nutshell what socialism is. Like, yeah, you can get to a point where everybody is getting the same thing except it's still going to be a relative everybody. It's going to be the 99% getting the same thing, and then you're still going to have that 1% or that 2% that are, um, that are in power. And so like, that's, a, that's a really good book to understand why socialism ultimately kind of can't work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree, man. And it, it's uh, like, if you do your research, like, I, I was watching something, I can't remember who it was, and they talked about, and I never even looked at it this way until I seen what I saw. They they brought up all the, the commun- communist countries. It's like, if you look at the countries, it's, it's, if you if most people with socialist ideas in America, they wouldn't even want to go to live in these <laughs> these socialist countries that they, and it's this idea that they love. So it's like, like you said, man, when we're not saying capitalism perfect, but it gives everybody a shot to create something, create something that they own. Now, if that's what you're not into, and you want, you want people to just to give you everybody on the equal playing field. So be it. But me personally, that's not what I feel. The people I rock with, they don't feel that same way. So I'm like, yeah, I'm completely, I'm completely against. It. Yeah. 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 I'm all, I'm all about you know reforming systems and making things better. Uh, there's, right. definitely, there's definitely things, especially in America, man. We we have so much excess in this country that we could definitely do more for people. Um, you know, we could we could definitely we could raise the minimum wage. 
we can uh, we can make sure that you know people have living wages. Um, but at the end of the day, like this idea that everybody uh, should have the same, you know, the same thing, or, or nobody should have more than the next, yeah. or nobody should be a billionaire. When, that's ridiculous. You man. know, like, like that's that's so that's so odd to me. Like people are that's like, ridiculous. oh, Jeff Jeff Bezos shouldn't be a billionaire, and they right. they are legitimately like putting money in the, in that man's body every day. Every day, it's, it's ridiculous. Like they get a new empire, they get a new package on Amazon every day, and like, like it's not Jeff Bezos' fault that Amazon has become so convenient that for a lot of Americans, it's, it's become almost a utility in a way. Like, you know, like, but he, you know, he created something that was that was great, that was world changing, and he deserves to be compensated for. It. He deserves. Like, like, I, it's like when we had uh, Zamonte on the episode, something that he said that always stuck out to me. He said, like, if Jeff Bezos wasn't a billionaire, it would be something that means something terribly went wrong with society. Facts. That, and that, that's, that's so fast. Right. And then, like, people forget, like, people like to say, oh, you know, these billionaires can't be billionaires without exploiting people. Every, everybody's exploiting something. Everybody's exploiting somebody on some level. Like, people, people put that. People put a, a negative connotation on the word exploitation, which like mm. you go to job if you go to a job, you know what I'm saying, and you uh, and you get a paycheck, you are exploiting that company for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Period. That's like they're exploiting you for probably a bigger profit, but you're like just like the dictionary definition of exploitation is not something negative. We just have a negative connotation about it. Right. But, but then also like how many, how many hundreds of thousands of people, right? How many millions of people have, have these billionaires actually employed and allowed for people to put food on the table for their families? Mm-hmm. Like, and having started a, you know, having started a company, and no, I didn't end up having a billion dollar company. I had a seven figure company, multi-million dollar company. And, you know, we had employees and um, we had people that depended on that, you know, depended on us for stuff. And it was like, yo, there's going to be times where, especially early, like, uh, even if you just run like a, a hair, uh, like a hair salon, nail salon, barbershop, and you just, you own the, you own the shop. And you got people in there, like it's gonna be times where you don't take a check just so everybody else can eat. You know what I'm saying? Like because your business depends on some of these other people to run, and so you're gonna make those personal sacrifices. And when you look at it, at the end of the day, let's say you make an empire, but nobody else was sacrificing like you were sacrificing. Why is it? Why do people feel entitled? to reap the same benefits that you do when they didn't have the same kind of sacrifices. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's just so odd to me. It's um, extremely odd, bro. It's, yeah. Very, it's, it's, it don't make, it, it, it was crazy to me about it. If people complain about Jeff Bezos being a billionaire, but y'all the ones that gave him the money. He wouldn't be a billionaire without y'all. It's not like he created the money in some laboratory. Literally, y'all gave him the money. It would be like, I bought, I bought, I bought Deanna a car for her birthday. It would be like me complaining, man, why Deanna drive a Benz? She shouldn't drive a Benz when I'm the one that gave her a car. Like, what? That's what it looks like to me from the, from the <laughs> Jeff Bezos complaint. Y'all gave this man the money. 
because y'all steadily buying the product, but complaining how somehow he shouldn't be a billionaire. What? Like, it literally makes no sense with these people. That's why I'm like, now, now saying like how he should be doing different things with employees and stuff like that, that's a, that's one thing. That's a different topic. But yeah. saying he shouldn't be a billionaire at all and billionaires shouldn't exist is just complete foolery to me. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, definitely. You you had some you had something else you want to talk about, D? Nope. Sorry, I used all my questions. Okay, okay. What about you, DJ? You have anything else that we didn't get the chance to go over yet? Uh, no, man. I, I think we had a very robust conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Enjoyed it. Yeah, this was this was this was uh this was really fun, man. We had a and before we before we let you go, I just want to say we appreciate you coming on, man. But before all that, do you mind? Plugging in all your stuff where people can find you, follow you if they want to be a student for all your stuff, everything you got. Uh, yeah, so uh, if you want to follow me uh, on Twitter at I'm not DG, I don't do a whole lot of other social media, so just hit me up on Twitter at I'm not DG, I M N O T D G. And then uh, if you want to uh, book me for a consult, um, you can go to calendly.com. Academy.com. Links in my bio. I never tell people. Uh, hold on. Sorry, guys. It's all good. good. Yeah, Calendly.com backslash I'm not DG. Uh, if you want to book me, you can go there. Um, but the easiest way to connect with me is hit me up on Twitter, and that link is in my bio. Um, and uh, yeah. I look forward to to hearing from some of y'all, or even if y'all just want to connect with me and follow me and just chop it up with me on Twitter. I'm not all business on the timeline, uh, as y'all know. I definitely can get kind of goofy, uh, but but I do I do drop some knowledge every now and again. So definitely uh, follow your boy and connect with me, and uh, I look forward to hearing from a lot of y'all. Definitely, man. Like you said, make sure y'all definitely follow him on Twitter. Like you say, he can give it out a lot of gems. He's just a good person to follow. And once again, bro, we just want to say thank you again for coming on, man. This was this was a uh, super informed, dope episode. Awesome, man. Yeah. Thank you all for having me, and uh, I will talk to y'all later. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon, bro. Peace. Yeah. And that was another episode of Millionaire Mindsets Podcast with DG. And to wrapping up, for those who don't know, you can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and everywhere else at Xavier C. Miller. And you can find me on Twitter at Deanna S. Kent or Instagram at Deanna Kent. And you can follow Park Hill Capital and M Mindsets on Twitter and Instagram. And that's all M Mindsets Pod. Yeah. (laughs) And that's all we got for y'all. We appreciate y'all for tuning to another episode. See you guys next episode. Peace. Turn me up something. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant. I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary. You still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper I've been Chase the greatness. I'm stacking now and balling later. In the conversation, we strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments, and sacrificing temporary for bigger blessings. 
Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it. No, Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouches. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag to your bank account. Need an accountant.